Let's open our Bibles to the book of Ruth. Remember we said this little book, Ruth, if you want to define it, put a T in front of it. And that says truth, and it's dispensational truth, doctrinal truth, and gospel truth, because all of them are indicated in this little book of Ruth. And we find in the first chapter we uh, mentioned how that Naomi and Elimelech, her husband, went away from Bethlehem, Judah, into the land of Moab, picture of God's people going out to the world for supply instead of staying at home where they need to be in the house of God. Bethlehem means the house of bread, and Judah means the house of praise or praise. So he put them both together, Bethlehem, Judah. And she went away, and she lost everything. She lost her husband, had two sons, and they married the two uh, women of Moab. The two sons died. She came back with uh, Ruth, Naomi, and uh, Ruth is the only one to return. Orpha promised to return, but she didn't go back with them. She didn't come back to Bethlehem with them. And, of course, we read the first several verses in the second chapter. When they come back, it's a full barley harvest that's in going. And we find that uh, they meet Boaz. Boaz means strength is in him. He is uh, said to be the kinsman redeemer. We find that she found grace in his sight. And she gleaned among the reapers. She was just doing real well there. We come down to about verse 6. She said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and it continued. And this is what the reapers told Boaz. They're giving a report. The servant uh, is identifying this Moabitish damsel. And in verse 7, she said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and it continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Now then, that brings us to our point of entry in the story that we've been studying. Now, uh, first of all, let's notice that she gleaned among the sheaves. This was her right under the law, that for the stranger, the widow, the orphan, uh, Israel was to leave a certain portion of their fields when they'd go and how many of you ever plowed the, uh, cut the wheat with a combine? You go out and you miss those corners, you know. You turn, can't turn just square. You make the corners. Well, you're to leave the corners of the field. And then if you missed a little strip and you got off track and left a little strip along there, you're supposed to leave that. Don't go back after it. God says that's for a purpose. Even your mistake is for a purpose. Because God had it planned that these mistakes would be made so that someone else would be provided for. Isn't that an amazing thing, how that uh, uh, a fellow trying to reap every bit of the wheat he can reap in the field, and he, of necessity, is going to miss some. And uh, that's all in God's plan, so that s- some others, and this was to be left. They were not to go back and go down the corners. You know, uh, my father-in-law, I used to remember, he wouldn't go down the corners of the field. A lot of these farmers will. They'll go back and forth with that combine and clean the corner out where they missed the curve there. Usually there's a pretty good two or three foot strip where you turn the combine there. And by the time you go down and back, you probably get on a large field, 160 acre field, you'd get a lot of bushels of wheat. But uh, he always, my father-in-law always left those, the birds would eat them and everything. And uh, God has a provision for other creatures and other people. And in those days, it, the provision was for the stranger and the widow and the orphan. And God said it was their right. It was their right to have this. And the law allowed her this. If you 
And I won't go back and look at it, but Leviticus 19, verse 9, the law allowed her to have this. But let me read this. In verse 8 it says, Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearst thou not my daughter? Go not to glean. There's a, this is full of meaning here. Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. In other words, you stay in this field. You abide here. You abide in this field, and you reap all you want to here. Now, you see, the law permitted her to glean, but only grace would say abide here. See, God says, I've not only got provision for you that the law is made, but I've got something above what the law allows. I've got a special blessing for you. She had only asked for a place, but now she received much more than she asked for. Isn't that something with the Lord? You know, you ask for a place for just the measly little bit, and God says, I'll give you this and more too. Like our brother was talking about a little bit ago. When uh, this church does something, uh, as the Lord leads us, God is going to uh, shower upon the church blessings above all we can receive. It's just like a tither. God says, you bring all the tithes to the storehouse and prove me now herewith if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you shall not have room enough to receive it. And it's not only in the physical return, in the material, monetary return, but it's with all the blessings that he bestows upon you in other ways. And sometimes that which seems to be the greatest monetary blessing is not for you. Sometimes you're better off accepting whatever God has for you, and uh, it'll be more blessed than the greater amounts. Uh, there was plenty and more. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean and... Look at this. Go not to glean in another field. In other words, Boaz, Boaz typical of Christ. He says, you don't need to go anywhere else. Isn't that meaningful? When you've come to Christ and found in Him the, the grace that is there, abide in this field. He says, abide here. And he says, you do not, he says, go not to another field, neither go from hence, but abide here. So, we need not to go to another field. We need not to go to the field of carnal reasoning. It will offer you only chaff and stubble. We need not to leave Christ for anything. Some people think that uh, they want to come to Christ and then they want to go beyond what Jesus has. And all of our blessing and communion, we're going to see in a moment, is based upon the death and resurrection of Christ. And uh, if that's not satisfactory, then you're seeking something you don't need. Because there's plenty there for you. There's no lack. <laughs> there's no lack in Christ's death and resurrection. In His death and resurrection, He's provided peace by the blood of His cross. He's provided justification by all those who believe in Him. He has provided a substitutionary righteousness. He will declare you righteous. So you have peace with God. You have uh, justification in the sight of God. You have righteousness of Christ that's clothed you. And you have communion and fellowship based upon His death, burial, and resurrection. What more could you ask for in the spiritual realm? And you're, you're raised up together to sit together in heavenly places in Christ. And then someone says, well, I got beyond that. Well, I, I don't know where you went. You know, I don't know what you're seeking after. Someone says, I'm seeking some of those unknown gifts. Well, did God tell you to do that? I'm asking you, did God tell you to do that? It says, when the wise men came to Jesus, they, their destination was reached, right? And they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
And after they had seen baby Jesus, well, they went home. They went home, but they went another route. They went home another way. The reason they were new creatures, weren't they? No one's ever the same after you've been uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. So it says here, Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearst thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. A lot of people are gleaning in the field of carnal reasoning. They're gleaning in fields that they think they can find the pure grain and they find only chaff and only stubble. Maybe the fellow next to Boaz cut all the corners of his field out and didn't leave any sheaves. She was there gleaning among the sheaves even. The sheaves is that which is already bundled up. And she was gleaning around that where they failed to get that. And then we're going to find something else before this is over. When you get down later on, some of the richer blessings that's left for her. So then it says in verse uh, uh, 8 again, Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. There's a place provided for you under grace. Here is a place that's provided. Abide here fast by my maidens. When you come to the Lord, He says, There is a place for you. Remember, I always think of Moses. When uh, God he wanted to see God's glory, and God says, there is a place by me. There's a text, isn't it? There's a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And when my glory passes by, you'll see my hinder parts. You'll see my glory, but my face shall not be seen, for no man shall see my face and live. And in Christ. So we're hidden in the cliff of the rock, which is Christ. And this place is very dear and near to the Lord, to God the Father. We sing a, a song near to the heart of God. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. So we're talking about a place close to God, but it's in Christ. Because only in Christ can we approach God. See? And only in Christ are we hidden. Uh, we're, your life is hid with Christ in God, right? And so the Bible tells us that this is the place that He's provided. Look at verse 9. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go not after them. Uh, I have not... And go thou after them, rather. That's the maidens that are reaping in the fields. And he says, Have not, have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? They, they were, she was divinely protected from any harm that could come to her from the young men. In other words, she was there as a holy, in a holy place and under divine protection. And he put that uh, to her care. That they shall not touch thee, and when thou art athirst, look, I provided more than your protection. Uh, when thou art athirst, go to, the, to under the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. They're going to draw water for you, and they're going to have your food and drink. Everything's going to be protected and taken care of. Your provision is there. It's your privilege. Then it says, there's something that I want you to see. In verse 9, before we leave it, Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. In other words, follow their example. Those very close to Boaz and those that were faithful reapers of his, those maidens in the field as well as the others, go after them. You just stay right along with them. You know it's good to follow a good example, isn't it? If you have a good example to follow. Paul, Paul said to, to Timothy, uh, for him to say, be thou followers of me as I'm a follower of the Lord. And so when we have a good example, Peter and Paul and John were good examples of men of faith and men of courage, men of strength, men of dedication. Paul was especially a man dedicated. 
Okay, now look. It says then in verse 10. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? She knew that she had more than the law provided. She knew the stranger was provided for, but she says, Why have I found above what the law provides? Why have I found grace in thy sight? Brother Beatty, I believe, sang the song. I love it real well. I heard it uh, by a quartet one time, and I really enjoyed, enjoyed hearing it. But he sang the song, Who am I that a king should bleed and die for? See? And, and uh, Ruth is saying, Why? Why is it that I found grace in thy sight? Can you look and think of how God has given you grace? And uh, really, when you look and see you're a sinner, see you're, you've broken God's law, see that we all have sinned, come short of the glory of God, see that we're like Isaiah. You know, Isaiah was a prophet for years, and in the year that King Uzziah died, listen carefully, he says, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, and His train filled His temple, and the, the seraphim were crying out, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. And each of them had six wings. With twain they covered his face. With twain they covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And then when all that glorious vision came to Isaiah, he said, Then said I, Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am undone. And I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. In other words, I'm no better than the rest of them. Have you ever seen that? Uh, For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. We need to realize that who are we to find grace above that which the law provides? And this is the way Ruth felt. She says, why why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger? I know the law allows for strangers, but look, you've been gracious to me. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of of thine husband, and how that thou hast left thy father and thy mother in the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. First of all, he says, I know all about you. You know, when we come to Jesus and we tell him all of our mean things, repent of our sins, and maybe even we start naming it all to the Lord, I know it. I know all about it. See, we're not telling him anything new. It's good that we confess, isn't it? We're not telling him anything new. He knows all about it. It says, God had not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Thank the Lord he hasn't. We'd be in terrible shape, wouldn't we? But he says, as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And so we find that, that here, he says, I know all about it. It's fully shown me. Remember in John chapter 2, let me read a verse for you. Look in the second chapter of John's gospel. John chapter 2. I want to give you this. In verse 23, now when, he had, uh, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus, now look, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. And needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. See, God knows all about us. And old Boaz, he says, uh, it's been fully showed me, back in the roof now, to verse 11, all that thou hast done. He knew the good things about her as well. He knew that she was a Moabitess. He knew also that, uh, that her husband was dead. 
And he knew also that she had hit upon hard times. He knew she had a right to glean in the fields. And he knew that she had returned with her mother-in-law and he bestowed grace upon her. But he knew more than that. He knew that she was of a cursed race. And still, all these blessings were flowing toward her. And also, look at the last part. He says, and, and has, how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity and are come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. What is he saying here? You've left your natural ties and now you have new bonds. That's what the sinner does. He leaves his old natural ties and he has new bonds. His new bonds are those that are bound. In other words, have you ever received letters from other Christian brothers or friends and they say, in his bonds or in the bonds of Christ? We're bound together. We say... We sing a song, blessed be the tie that binds. We have new ties. Sometimes these spiritual ties are just as great and even greater in some respects. And it's not necessary that it be if we have good Christian brothers in the flesh. But sometimes they're greater in some respects than even flesh and blood can. We hate to say that, but it's true. Uh, it need not be if we had flesh and blood kin, that we're all children of God and had the same spiritual aspirations that we should have. But that's the way it is many times. And I've had uh, Christian brothers and sisters that are just as dear to me as my own flesh and blood. And uh, some of you will have to admit that that's true in your lives. All right, let's go on. So she had new bonds. And then in verse 12, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord... A God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. God will give you a reward. And he says, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Reminds me of when Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often, think of Jerusalem today. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings. But you would not. Then he had to say, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. They missed their day of being sheltered and protected and loved by the Lord himself. And now they, they had been scattered. They've been scattered through these 2,000 years among nations. They finally returned in 1948 to their homeland. And now they're still rejecting the, uh, Jesus as the Messiah. Only a few of them are accepting now. But see, what I'm saying is they missed their day of real blessing, didn't they? But... Under his protection, we sing a song, under his wings, don't we? And that's a, a place of protection. You know that old mother hen, have you ever seen them out on the farm? And it'll start a rainstorm, and boy, all those little old chickens and chicks will come right under. She'll just spread them out, and they'll all be just protected. She'll get soaking wet, but they'll be all right. She puts those wings over and leads them to a shelter if she can. But even if she's out in the middle of the rainstorm, well, they're going to be protected every one of them the lord does us that way we run across the storms of life and, and so there's full reward and full protection and in verse 12 look at it and then verse 13 then she said let me find favor in thy sight my lord for thou hast comforted me comfort jesus will comfort the brokenhearted will he not thou hast comforted me you know the only place that uh you and I can find real comfort is in the Lord. We try all over the world. We try uh, uh, society. We try friends. And some of them are fair-weathered friends. When you need them, they're gone. And uh, even family sometimes can be that way. But 
when you find comfort in the Lord and you find protection in the Lord, you find grace in the Lord, you find your reward is in the Lord. And then it says further, look, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid. He's a friend too, isn't he? Friendly. Though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens, I'm not like these because they're free and they're not under the curse and I'm a Moabite and I have no place except to glean in your field and get the, the leftovers. But I found grace and look, I found comfort and he said, and she further confessed the speech that I spoken Friendly unto thine handmaid. Friendly and kindly. Isn't it good in the midst of a cruel and wicked and harsh speaking world to find someone with a kind word once in a while? To find just someone that says, well, I understand your situation, your problem. Well, Jesus always does that. Now look in verse 14. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat by the reapers. Now, I want to stop there on purpose. She sat beside the reapers. These were seasons of time and refreshing. She was right sitting there beside those that worked with her. And at mealtime, she could avail herself of, of the bread that was provided. The food was there for her. But then, I want you to know something special. And she sat beside the reapers, and he, look at this, he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. Look at that. He reached her parched corn. This is Boaz, is typical of Christ. And here is bread, or food, straight from the Master's hand. The Lord Himself feeds us children. Bo Boaz here is reaching her parched corn and feeding her. Remember, Jesus said to the disciples after the resurrection, after they had failed in their fishing expedition, and finally he said, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find John 21. We just preached on it. He says, he had fish, he had coals there, and fish laid there on and bread. And he says, come and dine. He says, I've got something for you to eat. Personal. He reached them parched corn. And the Bible says that he did eat bread with them. And so Jesus is the same for us, isn't he? By the way, you need to realize that corn is a figure of our Lord Jesus Christ in his true humanity. He, remember in John 12, he says, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Except Jesus die, there would be no provision for us. See, uh, I have a message on if Jesus had not died, heaven would be a lonely place, wouldn't it? We know that the Bible says there's not salvation to be found in any other, right? For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And if Jesus had not died, heaven would be uh, not inhabited of, of redeemed souls. Because even the Old Testament saints were redeemed by looking forward to the redemption that is in Christ. You find in John chapter 12. So a corn of wheat is a figure of our Lord Jesus Christ in His true humanity, but in order that He might be our food, He had to die. Notice He says, He reached her parched corn. You see? The fire must uh, pass through this corn to parch it. Parched corn. Have you ever eaten any parched corn? Well, some of you may and may have not. I remember one time... My dad and I were over on my uncle's place the other side of the Indian Reservation on Rinconada, 
back right in the valley, just as it joins. It joins there. My uncle's place joined the Indian reservation, and we were over there cutting wood to burn in the stove. We had an old 38 Chevrolet, and we'd get over there with a handsaw and cut pieces of wood to put in the back of the car and drive back home to... Uh, and we'd pack the car full of black back floorboard and the back end all full of wood with a handsaw. Anyway, it came a snow. We couldn't get out. That place gets rough when it snows. And we had to stay all night. My uncle had a little shack of a cabin there. There was usually a little bit of food there, but there happened not to be anything but some old corn. And we took that corn and we put it in a the skillet there on the wood stove and we parched that corn. That's all we had till we were rescued. But it was good. We parched that corn and that grain of corn and we'd eat that. And we liked to got real hungry before it was all over. But anyway, when you think of what corn is and how it has to be parched, Jesus had to bear, listen, Jesus had to bear the sufferings, the fire of sufferings, before he could be food for us. Did you know that? The real communion that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ is because of what? His death and resurrection. Right? He, he went through the fires of God's judgment and God's wrath and the fire heated that corn till it almost would crack open. And this corn is significant of Christ in his humanity. And the Bible says that he set out on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he underwent the wrath and the judgment of God. And then when it was over, he said, It is finished. And then he became the bread of life. And he says, Except a man eat of this bread, he hath no life in him. So we spiritually feed upon Christ by faith and have salvation. And have communion. And isn't that what the Lord's Supper is all about? When we say, uh, this is my body which is broken for you. We recognize that Jesus endured the sufferings of the cross. And that he was buried and rose again the third day. And he says, because I live, you shall live also. And our communion, as we said earlier, is strictly based upon, listen, two facts. The death and resurrection of Christ. And you know, you find people get dissatisfied with it. They say, well, that's not enough for me. I want a church that has excitement. I want a church that has emotion. I want a church that has some, some real uh, thrills and things going on. Who told you that's what you needed? Where'd you get that? You got it from the world. You didn't get it from God. Because that parts corn, that death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ is sufficient and complete communion for every child of God. Remember, God was providing the children of Israel with angels' food. Remember? The Bible says in Psalms they did eat angels' food. And the Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 21 that... They cried out and they were complained against God and against Moses and said, Our soul loatheth this light bread. And that was God, God's bread that he provided, typical of Christ. Because he said, I am the true man of bread that came down from heaven. Man, eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And they loathed or they were sick of it. Now, there's some people, and I don't know why they do, get sick of the plain old gospel message, the plain old simple truths of the doctrines of grace, and they say, we want more than that. Well, sometimes they get more than that. And when they get more than that, sometimes they get away from God, and you can't get them back in the house of God anymore. 
because they're living on strict excitement and emotion. Emotion enough for me is that to recognize the fact that Jesus died for my sins and that I have redemption in Christ Jesus. I have peace that passeth all understanding. I have justification because he says that if we believe on him who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification, therefore, Romans 5.1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ being justified by faith. And the Bible says he made peace through the blood of his cross. The Bible says because of that justification, he declares us to be righteous in the sight of God. So I have peace with God. I'm righteous. I have Christ's righteousness. I have justification in the sight of God. I'm just as if I'd never sinned. I have sanctification in Christ. I have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. And he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's what the Bible says. With all. Someone says, I don't get all of them. Well, he's got them there for you if you want them. These are all spiritual blessings. But you see, sometimes we go to another field. We go to another field rather than that which Boaz has, and we reap of carnal reason, and we get chaff and stubble. Can you imagine the neighbor? I was thinking about uh, verse 8 when he says, Go not into to glean in another field. I was thinking about Boaz's neighbor. Suppose he was the kind that, that reaped the harvest of his field and then went back and just picked it clean and got every bit, all the sheaves and all the grain and all the stalks and left not enough for a verde. And suppose she'd gone to a field like that. What's she come up against? Nothing but chaff and stubble. Wouldn't be much to glean, would it? We're going to see something else. In verse 15, And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz uh, commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean uh, even among the sheaves and reproach her not. That's law. Glean. And even the best gleaning under the law, but now look at verse 16. Here's grace. If you have wanted to write something, write by verse 15, the law. Write by verse 16, grace. In verse 16 it says, And let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. Give her, extra, give her more than the law requires. Right beside verse 15, put law. Right beside verse 16, put grace. Isn't that something? Isn't it amazing that God says, leave some handfuls of purpose. In other words, intentionally, you leave them there for her. Sometimes the law provides us certain things. God says, I'm going to give you above that. I have more than the law can ever provide. Uh, in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, listen carefully. It says, for what the law could not do. It couldn't leave the handfuls on purpose. It says, for what the law could not do and that was weak through the flesh... God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. The word there for sin means a sacrifice for sin. And for sin, condemn sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So if we walk in a spiritual way with the Lord, we fulfill the law. And see, the law couldn't do that. We couldn't fulfill the law because of the sinfulness of the flesh. None of us have actually, literally, personally, individually fulfilled the law. Oh, a lot of people claim it, but they haven't. The only one that claimed it in Jesus' day, or the ones that are recorded, uh, went away sorrowful because they found out they had 
uh, yet lackest thou what one thing? They went away sorrowful. The man that comes before God and says, I fulfilled the law, so I'm all right with God. He's going to go away sorrowful because God's going to say, listen, he that's offended in one point like James is guilty of the law. Stephen preached to the most likely crowd to have kept the law, and he says, you receive the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it, and they stoned him to death for it, right? See? So what I'm saying is that here you have grace. Let fall also some of the handfuls of purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. Now look in verse 17. And she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out that she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. Now let's look at this. She worked all day and she gleaned. But you know, the grain was still in the, in the head. She gleaned. She had the stalks of barley. But the grain was still there. And she beat out that which she had gleaned. Reminds me of, of uh, you, you tonight. You're gleaning. You're getting, you're getting the grain. But you've got to beat that out. See, the job's not over till you assimilate, till you make that fit for food. Uh, it's just like a young man going to seminary or going to school. He gets in there and he, he gets the, the word is, is given out. And until he takes that word that's given out and gleans it and beats it up and makes it ready for food, or uh, what we, we say, takes the word of God and puts it in his own practical experience and life. You see, we were taught, and you, you've been taught, that we live by faith, right? Until we start experiencing living by faith. You know, I remember one old preacher saying one time, says, now we've got to live on what we've been preaching, right? We've got to live on what we've been preaching. Because we preach for others. When a tragedy comes, we say, well, listen, just have faith. God's going to take care of it. But when that tragedy happens to you, you've got to put that faith into a practical experience and say, I've got to experience the faith that I've been telling others they should have in the Lord's Word and in His promises and His guarantee to stand by you. And until you can put God's Word into your practical experiences in life, you haven't beaten out what you've received. You need to beat it out. You need to take that you've gleaned. That's why a lot of folks, when they come to church, if you'll take the Word that's given you, and then take that Word and realize that you're not just there to hear a sermon or hear a lesson, that you've got to make that practically fit. It's got to fit into your life by experience, and so that you tomorrow will say, I'm going to feed upon Christ. He's that parched corn. He's that corn of wheat that died and fell into the ground. And if he had not, he would abide alone. And there would be no salvation for me. There would be no forgiveness for me. There would be no peace for me. There would be no uh, fellowship and communion for him, for me. He reached her parched corn and she uh, did eat and was what? And was sufficed. She was satisfied with that. She didn't need anything else. And was sufficed. Can you imagine people being satisfied? We sing a song. I'm satisfied with Jesus, don't I? You should, well should be. <laughs> what more could you ask for? Huh? Jesus came down from heaven's glory. He took upon Him the form of man. He uh, uh, represents us. He is uh, flesh and blood with us. Right? Took upon Him our nature. And He knows He's in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He knows every experience we undergo. And then He died on the cross to save us. He rose from the dead to guarantee our salvation. And then 
He has ascended to heaven to be our great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. And because of that, He bids us to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And everything that we have need of, all we have to do is approach the throne of grace. And I don't care how bad it is or how far-fetched it is, how little it is or how large it is. He's able to take that uh, request into his heart and present before God and hear and answer our prayer and our need. That's a great and wonderful thing. He says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee. I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And God is able to hear and answer prayers, and he will. Let's go on down in verse um, uh, 17. She gleaned in the field till evening and beat out that which she had gleaned. It was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. So she gave. Someone says, well, was Ruth ungracious by just going ahead and and sufficing herself and not bringing it home first to her mother-in-law? Until we have been sufficed, we have nothing that we can give anyone else. Did you know that? Until you and I have been sufficed, we don't have anything to feed anyone else. It's just like, remember the story Jesus told of the friend at midnight? This friend came into his house. And so he wanted something to eat. And he said, I I don't have anything to give you. I have nothing to set before you. So he went to another friend's house. And he said, I I have a friend that's come on a journey. And he says, he's in my house and he needs something to eat. And I don't have anything to give him. See? So he said, "I, I pray you give me something to take to my friend that's back at home. And what happened? The man had all his children in bed. And that means in those days, they were all on pallets on the floor. And you know, we didn't have electric lights in those days, I'm sure. So this fellow gets up in the middle of the night, the husband, the man of the house, and starts stumbling over all the kids to try to get some bread to give to the neighbor. He he says, even though this inconvenience is here, yet he gave him the bread. He went through all that was necessary to overcome all the obstacles, and, and he gave him the bread. And had he not received bread, he could not take it to his friend. Now, if we come to the Lord for the bread of life, and every preacher has to, too, before I can give you anything, I have to get it from God in order to give it to you. And that's exactly the way feeding people upon the Scripture is. This has to first feed my soul, and I have to be satisfied with it. And then I'm able to suffice. You can take the same food and be sufficed. And she gave to her that she would, had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law, verse 19, said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today, and where uh, wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The, man, the man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. Now look, And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead, that she's referring to herself. She had lost her husband and her two sons, and also Ruth had lost her husband. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. In other words, in the marginal reference, it says, One that hath the right to redeem. Ruth learns that Boaz is near of kin unto us. Isn't it a wonderful thing when 
the sinner learns that Jesus is a near of kin, that he says, sinners, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. We sing a song, sinners, Jesus will receive, sound his word of grace to all. And she learns that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. In other words, he's near kin. He has a right to redeem. And when we learn that Jesus is the only one that can be the kinsman redeemer for us. You know, a lot of people haven't learned that. He's the only redeemer for sinful man. And so it says in verse uh, 21, Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until, until they have ended all my harvest. She knew there's more blessings in store. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet uh, thee not in any other place. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of the barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Boy, we have a good story coming up in the third chapter. She kept, look, she kept fast. She followed his instructions. He said, keep fast by my maidens, didn't he? And, and she followed his instructions completely. We need to follow Jesus' instructions completely and everything will turn out all right. And finally, in the third chapter, we'll find where there's a very intimate connection and relationship between Boaz and Ruth as a result of her staying by and doing exactly what he said. Thank you for your patience and kind attention.